Cho, author of The Gumiho Duology and Once Upon a K-Prom. I'm Clarabel Ayrtega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings, and this is Write or Die. Okay, so... Boop, boop. Today was a day, <laughs> but I'm super excited because I get to co- reveal my cover for Once Upon a K-Prom. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a long time coming, even though... It's still kind of early in the process. I feel like every publisher does these kinds of pre-stuff different at different stages. Mm. Like when are galleys printed and when do you reveal the cover and when are pre-order links up? Um, so this is like, what is it? Eight, eight months before the book comes out. That's a decent amount of time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I'm really excited. I love this cover so much. Me too. It makes I me think so it's happy. really, really fun. Oh, I, I, I never saw it. I'm just kidding. No, you're allowed to have seen it. Okay, I saw it. <laughs> Stop lying to the people. No, everyone knows that I show that I show you everything, and it's like, honestly, I think it's fine. And I needed opinions on some things, like what one thing that my publisher did that I really appreciate and and Penguin did this too was that they sent me like mock-ups and they sent me options um, for specific design elements and they were like let us know which one you like best because your opinion matters to us and I was like oh thanks but then <laughs> I'm so bad at making decisions so I'd be like Clarabelle which one do I like best <laughs> <laughs> I think so. that's fair though because like you know we are so sort of stuck in our little like bubbles sometimes like even us Mm -hmm. we talk really often but like when it comes to our work there's just so much going on and sometimes you 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 have like a million emails back and forth and you're talking about a million different things and like Mm -hmm. i don't know like you lose subjectivity almost to to things i feel like that can really happen when you're just like talking to your team constantly and Mm -hmm. because like i'm not cc'd on everything that you do no that is true you know like even if we talk every day we're not talking about like work stuff right Mm -hmm. um so it's good to have another opinion in those situations because you just don't sometimes you just really don't know yeah well and also it's like when you've seen a version of it every step of the way when they're like okay we're at the like color gradient portion like which color gradient do you like most and you're like I've looked at a version of this design so much in the last like six weeks that I have no idea what actually looks better yeah so, it's like when a word stops having meaning yeah you said it so many times it's like exactly what <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's good to have fresh eyes so I really appreciate you lending me your cow eyes for sure that. anytime <laughs> do you know what I've been doing recently and and it's so weird and it's not on purpose, but it's so it super coincides with K prom is I've been obsessed with K pop again. Yeah, I which know. I've always loved K pop and I've always been a fan of it. But like, you know, when you're a fan of something, there's ebbs and flows, right? A hundred percent. Like I'm not always reading. Sometimes I'm in like a reading slump and sometimes I'm like, all I wanna do is read young adult fantasy. Um, so I got super duper into newer K pop groups. So just like a, a quick primer, um, there's different generations of K-pop, um, and it's arbitrary. I don't know who decides what generation we're in, but we're in the fourth generation right now. I decided. You? Oh, that's good to know. You <laughs> learn something new every day. But I, I haven't 
really I don't really know a lot about fourth gen I like I was really really into third gen um and so BTS is in third generation if people care um so but I really haven't gotten to fourth gen and so my newest love for k-pop has been getting to know these new groups and one that I love that Clarabelle knows is Stray Kids Mm-hmm. Absolutely adore them. <laughs> they're they represent. I mean, like, I'm not going to get too into it. This is not a <laughs> podcast about K-pop. But the reason I'm talking about this is not just because Once Upon a K-Prom, which is a K-pop rom com, but because I was watching the reality TV show for that formed them. Um, they were formed at one of the big three entertainment companies, JYP, and JYP was like giving them advice on what is important when you become a k-pop star and i was watching it and i was like oh my gosh this is like really relevant to publishing in some ways mm-hmm. um and very much it made me start thinking about like what it means to become a public figure that's the overlap right when you mm-hmm. become a public figure and your words have more meaning than you're used to them having right and um so i guess like jyp um his his real name is park jin young um, but his company and he is JYP and he goes by JYP and he has this like motto that apparently like he tells all of his K-pop stars and um, hold on, let me find it. I wrote it down somewhere and I really, cause I really wanted to share it with you guys. So it's three words, um, honesty, sincerity, and humility. Right. And so the first one is, uh, is, obvious like be honest like tell the truth um the second one is sincerity is kind of like um like when you're presenting a part of yourself have it be like something you're truly passionate about and sincere about because it'll it'll shine through um, pretty much and people can tell right Mm -hmm. um like people can tell if like you're just pretending to be a certain thing just for publicity sake yeah um and unless you're like meryl streep (laughs) Unless you're the best actor or you're a sociopath. Right. Right. All right. So and then humility is pretty much like you're not the most important person in the world, which I think is fair. But I Mm -hmm. think it's hard when you're a public figure and people are like showering attention on you. Right. um, And then you start to get a big head. And this is not to be like, don't be proud of yourself and your accomplishments. It's it's more like be aware of that line between confidence and arrogance. Yeah. Um. But all of this, um, he's like pretty much telling them that you're, oh, I have a good quote here. Okay. So this is a quote from the Stray Kids show. And he says, you need to become a person who doesn't have to consciously watch their behavior in front of someone. Be true to yourselves and continue to prove that you are worth it. I don't ever want you to be pretentious because if you are not sincere, everybody will eventually find out sooner or later before becoming a celebrity, you have to be ready to become one. And obviously like... This is interesting because like K-pop stars know they're going to be celebrities and that's why he's able to give this Mm -hmm. advice to them. I think for authors, we are not, we don't always realize like how big, how much attention we're going to get because it's a new thing that like authors are public figures now and as public as we are. Um, But I think because we're starting to learn that we're becoming more public, we have to be really aware of like, the, how our words are taken and another thing another piece of advice he gives is kind of this idea that um, you want to be entertaining right like 
no matter like when you're a public figure you want people to be interested in what you're saying and hang on your every words but he's like be careful when that overlaps into something like gossiping He's like, when you go onto a show and they're like, oh, tell us something interesting that so-and-so does. You're friends with them, right? Like, what's a really interesting thing they do? And the first thing that'll come to your mind is to tell an embellished story. Because mm-hmm. you want you want to make it dramatic. You want to get a laugh. Right. Everything like that, right? But you have to be aware of the extra responsibility. I think, like, as just regular people, we're used to, like, when we tell a story, when it's just, like, a couple of friends or we're at a party and we're telling a story of, like, this thing happened to me, who cares if you exaggerate it a little bit? It's more fun. You're just having a good time. It's not going to come back and bite you on the ass. But when you're a public figure and you're telling a story, especially if you're, you're on a social media platform like Twitter and you're exaggerating gossip because you subconsciously want to get bigger reactions, then you might unwittingly be starting a rumor that snowballs into something new and potentially really harmful. Um, And I know it's really hard to imagine that our words have like that much influence when we're so used to just being in our small social bubble. But the, you know, intersection of social media, our new platform, all of that stuff means that we have this extra responsibility to kind of pause and think things through before we make certain claims or we share certain gossip, especially when it's about other people Mm. or involves other people. Because too many times, like even in just this last year, I've seen like people's entire reputation suffer because of someone exaggerating a story or sharing like something they heard from a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. And even if that thing like dangerous, right. And even if that thing gets proven false, like the damage is done. Like it's like there it's in people's mind. Like what if they actually did do this? What if this is just a cover up? Blah, blah, blah. So when I was watching that show, that reality show, and he's like, pretty much and he's and these kids are like 17 18 right and he's Mm -hmm. like i don't care that you're 17 or 18 you're about to enter the public you know arena your -hmm. words matter the way you treat other people matters like and so and and one of the pieces of advice he gave was like even if it's a funny story to you if it's about someone else i would rather you not share it because it's that person's reputation yeah like I loved it. I was so good. And I'm like, I'm really glad he's like leading these kids like so responsibly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super mature. And I guess it goes to like how fast people in these training programs have to grow up because there's so much thrown at them. Yeah. But I think that's such a that's such a smart way to think about things, such a measured way to think about things because like if I was famous at 17, it would be a mess. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. Especially if you not be guiding you. Yeah. I mean, I I completely see why this, you felt like this was relevant to publishing too, because like, I do see this happen. And I do think that there there is a case for also being careful about doing this in like with your friends, even like, um, like the exaggeration of things, like being really careful because you never know, like things can sometimes spiral out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, in the grapevine like when people are talking about something um so I would say like if you're gonna do that keep it to like your very very close friends like (laughs) like, you know what I mean um but in terms of publishing yeah I think there has been like a lot of um it's hard because this is a this is a very difficult thing to talk about because I think that when we were both sort of starting out 
mm-hmm. right? Um, the climate on like social media, like in publishing, was very different. Um, mm-hmm. It was just sort of the call outs were sort of like just beginning to be as big as they were um, at that time. And the examples that newer writers had to sort of learn from were people who were doing these call outs, right? And mm-hmm. like sometimes the way that they were done were uh ethical and like sort of um called for and sometimes they weren't. But you didn't know that when you when you didn't know what was happening behind the scenes cuz mm-hmm. a, a lot of times there's a lot more to a story than like what one person tells you. Um and so that has sort of like domino affected all the way to today where it's like it's like a gate it's like a weird game of telephone where people can suddenly you know have one person say something about them and then it just becomes like the law um and it has it's it's not about their books it's about like a personal thing about Mm -hmm. them and that can be that can be hard because yeah basing something off of like a vague something you heard from someone else that's so super irresponsible um Mm -hmm. it's so super irresponsible to do even even if you don't mean to cause harm to the people that you're doing that to like you can absolutely like really really hurt somebody um so i i do think that you have to be so super careful with whatever you say about other people on social media because you don't know who's listening to you and you don't know how people Mm -hmm. are taking it people take things very seriously (laughs) people get very intense about things so you could be saying it as a like a shrug of a shoulder moment thing but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that's how everybody's taking it so you really really have to think hard before you say anything i i completely agree with that and that's something that i've learned too because I I haven't always used my words as carefully as I should have um, in moments of anger, right? In moments of, like, injustice. Um, but I've definitely 100% learned. And I think that it's just... It, it would benefit everybody if if we did that, if we were more careful. If we, if we, if we didn't spread things that we actually weren't sure of. Yeah, I and it's interesting too because when I first got into publishing and thought about my platform, quote unquote platform, I was really resistant to accept that I had one because I was like, what? I'm not famous. Like people don't like, yeah, maybe like a few people care about what I'm saying, but like I'm not that influential and I totally get that mindset. But I think that if you are like, if you're, in denial about how influential you can be as a published author, then I'm, I'm telling you now, please throw away that. It's, it's, I know it's a little bit of like modesty, humility, all that stuff. And I did say we should be, have humility, but like in, we also need to be self-aware enough to mm-hmm. know that like we do have more weight on our words because of right. what our profession is. And I think that's just my biggest takeaway is like, yeah. I never really thought that I had anything in common with like who I saw as like true celebrities, right? 
Um, but as I was like watching JYP give this speech, I was like, so much of this is resonating with me right now. And it kind mm-hmm. of really helped me shed the last of that denial that I had. Yeah. Um, because I, I like, I'm going to be honest, like I've exaggerated stories before. Like I've been on panels and I'd be like, the funniest thing happened to me when I first got into publishing and I would exaggerate it. And, you know, I try to think back and be like, oh my gosh, like, was that okay that I did that? And I think... I think it was, but like, I don't know, like maybe there was someone involved in like one of those stories who's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to tell that story and it made me uncomfortable, Right. you know? So, so you never know. And this isn't to say like, don't share like fun anecdotes, like, especially if it's positive. Like I, like if Clarabelle tells a story about something that we did together and it's super funny and positive and we had a great time and it's supposed to be uplifting, I'm always fine with that. Um, it's more like we do have we do have this tendency in our community to be like, oh, let's call out something about publishing or let's call out this negative thing. And I think that that's where we have to be careful, because even though it is important to shine a light on the discrepancies within publishing and things like that, um, when you end up pulling in innocent bystanders, it can get really complicated. Yeah, I think especially when it comes to like secondhand accounts, like it's not something that actually happened to you. I think it gets even more complicated. And I will say like two things. One, I think that that kind of personal responsibility is actually important for everyone to take because like I've had people say awful shit to me in my mentions and assume that I was just not going to see it because I have more followers than they do. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, like, sort of the same thing that you were saying in terms of, like, being humble. Like, no one's going to listen. Like, people who don't have a platform who aren't public figures, like, their words can still cause so much harm and can still hurt people. So, like, I feel like no matter who you are, no matter what your job is, like, you shouldn't be shitty to people and you shouldn't say things and then be like, oh, I didn't know you were going to see it course i'm gonna see it joanne i live on twitter um (laughs) this is my home you came into my home and did this right um the second thing (laughs) is that like the 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 one thing the straight kids um said about like being like your authentic self um i think that is like really the crux of things too when it comes to like um because like when we exaggerate stories or like when we say things like and we're doing it for like either attention like to bring attention to a problem which i get like sometimes like especially marginalized authors we get so sick of stuff happening to us that we just want people to listen Mm -hmm. right so sometimes when you are so desperate for people to listen to you it can get into the territory of like of using someone else as an example and that is not the best way to go about it if that person has not actually done the thing that you were accusing them of the problem may very well exist but i don't think you should use a person as an example to get other people to listen because you know it's going to be more salacious um but the whole Mm -hmm. being yourself thing i think is really super important because like if you're yourself if you're authentic to yourself you won't feel like you're performing all the time like you know how we always say like we have to be on during like cons and stuff like that i think that's like valid right because you have to be answering questions you have to be like upbeat you can't be there like oh i wish i wasn't here like you can't (laughs) do that right because that's not going to be good people might think you're rude or whatever but i think that if you're just like true to yourself and like you sort of tell yourself like 
hey, like, I'm enough without having to bring in any yeah. extra shit to my sauce. Like, then that then that should be like that is the most important part of it to me like no you're enough like you're funny enough like your stories are interesting enough like you're great the way you are like you don't have to bring in all this extra stuff in order to make people pay attention to you you already have those qualities um you just have to learn how to demonstrate them in a way that's not going to be like harmful to others um Mm -hmm. but it is very interesting it can there's so there's so much like sticky territory when it comes to being an author now like i feel like we're forging like a whole new frontier where like authors are now becoming like influencers and like what's an influencer like that's oh my god what is an influencer right Uh, like yeah like (laughs) um so so it's like this like convergence of like this very new thing with like this very old thing that's also becoming this very new thing in many ways (laughs) and i think that a lot of authors feel pressure to be that kind of author right Mm -hmm. to be the kind of author who is like large following um all of these things that are markers of like an influencer but i don't think that you need to come at it from an angle of building my social media to sell my books all the time that's not Mm -hmm. for everybody there are people who focus on books first and the social media comes after Mm -hmm. and that's a super okay strategy too so you don't have to force yourself to do stuff let me tell you something i need to have a very serious talk not every author needs to be on tiktok (laughs) and some of the videos oh no what's happening claire that some of the videos that you guys are posting are really hard to watch and I feel like it's because people are trying to do the thing where they're emulating other people and trying to like be over the top and a lot Uh, and it's like it's okay okay. it's okay for you to just be yourself it's okay Uh, if you're not good at this medium to not do it um and I think ultimately it comes down to like wanting to be heard Mm -hmm. and even when people do like I, th- I know part of why we're having this conversation is because we've watched this happen to people multiple times in our mm-hmm. many years on the internet where we know a mul- like a f- all the sides to a story and then only one is presented on Twitter. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be very generous and say that the people who are doing this, the people who do that are people who are in one way or another hurting about something and yeah. they are taking it out on like the completely wrong um person you know Mm -hmm. or group or whatever it is um so i think that yeah you have to be really careful about your intentions and 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 the and the real reason why you are doing something like be really honest with yourself about that yeah agreed a hundred percent i think that i think that's all really good points yeah yeah so smart so smart so smart we're in straight kids too now (laughs) no we are not we're not cool enough to be straight kids but i I love that it's fine we don't need to be straight. we can make them sandwiches oh my god we must protect we must protect the straight kids what if they get hungry like that can't be well i guess they're all adults now yeah they're still they're they're still children they're still small children they're still children to me. If they're teenagers, they are still tr- children. No, 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 they're not teenagers like, anymore. 100%. They've grown up. Oh, okay. But to they're, me, still they're still children. Still, still <laughs> children. They're still like their early twenties. Still babies. 
They're that's my, like my, my that's that's like my nieces and nephews, oh. and and to me they will always be babies, even though well, my one of my nephews is like, like six Dennis. five. He's like <laughs> who couldn't even fit into our car when we went to go pick him up. He literally, he literally couldn't even. Like he's gonna have to get custom, like he's gonna be one of those adults that has to like get a custom shower so he can like oh, no. comfortably shower and like stand fully because he's so tall he is so tall he did a good job of growing i'm proud of him (laughs) (laughs) we're so emotional now Today's guest is Shauna Miles. Uh, Shauna is an author, reviewer, and librarian who lives in Georgia with her two daughters and educator husband and advocates tirelessly for appropriate representation for marginalized people in children's fiction. Her passion is paranormal romance, but she also has a deep affinity for diverse science fiction, like that of Octavia Butler and Sherry L. Smith. Willowborn is Shauna Miles' latest work. Welcome to Ride or Die. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well. And actually, my latest, my upcoming work is For All Time with Simon yes. Shoes, and it comes out in September. So Willowborn, and we can talk about that. Willowborn, I self-published, so we can talk about the difference between indie and traditional and all that stuff. Yeah, we oh, absolutely nice. can. Um, we'd love to do that. I know we uh, we have people who ask questions about that sometimes, and that's yeah. always like a big curiosity, like, which one should I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so before uh, we get into that, can you just tell us sort of like how you got into writing, uh, how you got your, are, are you represented by um, an agency right now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So how you got your, uh, your agent, your book deal, um, maybe we can then do like a little rewind into like more details about the self-publishing, maybe not like okay. do a deep dive, just let us know generally. Um, but just take us on the journey. How did you, uh, get started as an author? Okay. So, um, I guess, I started, well, I was, well, I was old as my daughter. She's 10. So maybe 10 years ago, I was like, um, you know, I love books. Maybe I could write one. <laughs> and I thought, let's, let's give a, give a try at that. And, um, I did. And I was like, I really like to, I like this. I think I can do this. And I think this is good. I've read you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of books. I think this is good. So let's see about possibly getting some representation. So I did all the things that you, you know, are told to do. So I read a lot of magazines and I um, joined SEBWI, um, which is what the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And it was expensive. And (laughs) I went to um, some conferences, which were also expensive. And I um, went, and here's also a club here called Atlanta Writers Club. And they do kind of like mini conferences as well. And for those, you know, aspiring writers out there, if you've never been to a conference, you know, there's like the conference fee, but then there's also an opportunity for you to purchase like reviews of your work. So you can purchase like, you know, have an agent look over your first five pages or, you know, that sort of thing um, for additional fees. And all of this can rack up. And I was just like, you know, 
maybe this isn't, you know, the route to, to, to where I want to go. Um, and I got myself a spreadsheet together and I got, I did my search on the net uh, of all of the different agents that I might want to um, work with. And I just sent them, you know, packages. And I did that. And I did that for three novels, three or four novels. Um, uh, Willowborn, which I did, which was a um, independent novel. And this was in like 2017. So you kind of have to like, you know, rewind to that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was just a lot less of, you know, minority led YA Mm -hmm. in the marketplace. There was Mm -hmm. Nicola Yoon who was out and um, I don't think The Hate You Give had come out yet. Um, So like The Hate You Give was kind of like a a detonation, you know, kind of like, oh, this, you know, like these books can sell. But before that, it was very, very touchy, very touch and go. And I just didn't know if um, I would be able to break through and get an agent um, to, you know, to put my work out there. And I thought maybe I could just do it myself. And I quickly realized that I'm not a salesperson. And that is something that you have to be to <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> to, to, to go indie. And we can go into <laughs> that later uh, to the ins and outs of indie. But I was like, okay, you know, for these other works that I've got that I keep doing, I'm going to just keep pounding the pavement. And when I say pounding the pavement, you know, the, I guess the internet's pavement, internet's pavement. And I have like 50 rejections per um, work Um, and none of them are awful. It just didn't work out. Got some, you know, partial um, interest, but nothing really happened until um, I joined another writer's group and I went to um, a writer's retreat and I kind of pitched some, I read them like the first 10 pages of For All Time and they're like, this is really good. You should definitely, definitely try to really push this. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think I'm going to do DV Pit, but I'm not sure what my comps should be. And they were like, gave me some really cool comps for it. And I wrote up my tweets for DV Pit, which is a Twitter um, competition. And I got, I don't know maybe like 50 requests wow not bad (laughs) you know uh, just like to send your stuff to Mm -hmm. them right so I you know so I got all of these requests you know for them to send me their you know to to send my package which was polished by then so it was not a fluke you know like I had my synopsis I had my query I had you know everything was ready to go um when I, you know, went to DV Pit, and maybe two days after that, I had nine agents in my email wanting to chat, and I had an agent who is I decided on John Cusick, um, who's at Folio, and I was agented from the day that I did DV Pit to, you know, like securing an agent, maybe ten days. So quick. Um, and then he looked at it. We made some tiny tweaks. 
Um, and that was, I think DV Pitt was in October or November, and he didn't want to send it out before the Christmas break because he said that was just a bad time to send things out. Mm. So we waited until January. And then by it was it sold into February. That is pretty and quick. It's, <laughs> yeah, that's real it's fast. Light fast in <laughs> publishing terms. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Okay. Um, so since you did uh, self-publish your your first book, could you tell us a little bit about what that was like and sort of like what you learned from it? Um, I was discouraged by the um, querying process. And I think it was because I was so new to the process that I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, rejections are just part of the game. And I was not, you know, really sold on that. So I was like, okay, um, I can do this. This is good work. Because I was still, I was confident in my work and not necessarily confident in the process. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I could do it myself. So I went um, with a, who is it? Ingram Spark. Mm -hmm. And I bought some ISBNs on sale. And I put together everything myself. I went to um, upwork.com to get a cover. And I put it out and I was like, okay, it's out there. Now what do I do? So now I have to like go and sell it. (laughs) (laughs) So at that point I'm like, okay, huh? I guess I'm going to go to, I see people selling books at, you know, different things around town. I live in Atlanta. So there are a lot of different um, festivals. Atlanta is a huge festival, you know, city. So there are a couple of festivals and there are a couple of things that came up and I was like, okay, well, not only do I have to, you know, pay the money to have it edited, which I knew a, an English teacher, I knew an English teacher who could help me with the editing. So she did the line edits and I had it all packaged up and I had to actually buy printed copies to hand sell. And I'm an introvert, and I should have known that this was just a, a whole bag of bad, but I didn't. I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna force myself to do it because this is what I want to do. And it just became just like kind of like a money, a money pit for me, because there are a lot of people out there who want to make money off of your dream, mm-hmm. and there were a couple of conferences, and. Um, that I went to that I paid for that didn't have foot traffic, which meant that the conference person was making money off of the people who were buying the booth rent and nothing else. So we're just mm-hmm. sending, sitting there hoping that people come by and I had gotten there early and this was supposed to be like an all day event. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, that's a that's a really uh, sort of tricky part of self-publishing. There are a lot mm-hmm. of companies out there who will take advantage of authors. Um, and it's tough to know what's legit and what isn't. 
Mm-hmm. It's so hard to kind of parse out, like, what can you put your money into? Or, you know, because then you have to really do the math. If you're really thinking about indie, do, you know, do the math. So if I go to this conference and the booth rent is $150 or $250 or $400, whatever it is, how many books do I have to sell to break even? Mm-hmm. And you have to price your books at that rate. And then you have to think, is this book, you know, from an unknown author, is this price at a book that people will buy? Do I have enough books? How much time, you know, do I have at this particular conference? And is it reasonable? You know, like not, you know, like this is like practical math you have to do in your head, not the pie in the sky. My stuff is good. Of course, your stuff is good. But your people that are walking by don't know that. So are you going to be like a carnival barker mm-hmm. and be like, hey, 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 step right up, step right up. I've got that good science fiction for you. <laughs> you know, are you going to, you know, start yelling at people, you know, like, I've got that good stuff for your kids. You know, what are you going to do to get these people in there? And are you willing to do that? And I just wasn't willing to do that. Yeah. So I went back to, to the, to the grind and it took a while. Um, it took a while. Yeah. I, when people ask me about, I used to work with self-published authors. So when people ask me about like, which one which path they should take right like I I give them the pros and cons but I let them know like if you are going to self-publish you you probably need a lot of money to invest and um, to either hire people to do marketing for you or have the skills to be able to do that yourself like it's very rarely just going to take off on its own and like very 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 rarely um it's a it's a lot of work it's not easy so um but but we love to hear from people who have done both because it gives you perspective, right? Like mm-hmm. there are challenges that come about from from both paths. Um, but and I know and I have a, a good buddy that does you know Indian. She does it well, and she partners with kind of like one of those like I don't, I don't know if you call it a flex publisher. Mm. Um, but the margin of profit that she makes off of each book is you know astronomically higher than you what you would get with traditional right um and they do have some help they have some marketing budget you know you know to kind of set aside but she can also decide okay i want to put some of my profits towards the marketing and this all of that and i just did not it's a business to be a business owner and i want it to be just the creative Mm -hmm. i want to send you my book and then you send me edits and I send it back and then you send me a cover and I say, ooh, that's cute. And then, you know, another team comes and says, hey, we booked you for this, that, and the other. And I say, great, I'll fit it in my schedule. You know, and that's that's what I have to do, that I am the creative, I'm the talent, and that's it, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and I'll have to worry about all that other stuff. Is somebody scamming me? You know, I don't like, you know, to have to deal with all of that. But she does have more control than I do over things like the title and the cover art and all of that kind of stuff. So it's a trade-off. Yeah, it, 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 is a, it is a give and take. And that's something people need to know also. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of people do go into self-publishing because they want to be able to choose everything and also to do it on their own time. Because, like, the mm-hmm. bad part about traditional mm-hmm. publishing is you got to wait. <laughs> It is a snail's pace. 
Mm-hmm. You'll, yes. you know, say you'll sell the book and they say, Ooh, we want it and we're going to publish it. And you're like, when? <laughs> Three years from now. <laughs> <laughs> Two years from now. You know, like that's our schedule. Fall, you know, <laughs> when your kids are grown, that's when it's coming out. <laughs> And that whole time you have to deal with people asking, when can I buy your book? Oh my gosh. You gotta wait a little bit longer. (laughs) Yeah, at a publisher, you're just one small fish in a sea of many fish. And you, there's no guarantee that you'll get any attention from anybody um, in any department. So it's, it's nerve wracking in a different way. Um, But I think it's like, I think that your stories really do prove that like there's a lot of research to go for into either path. Right. You know, and, and that's the biggest thing. Like think things will diverge once you choose your path. But I think the thing that stays consistent is like to go in with your eyes wide open and to Mm -hmm. see exactly what you're getting into. And Um, there's options too. Like there's people who write under, you know, like write erotica under like pen names that nobody knows about. There's people who write, you know, picture books under a different name. So you can do both and just, you know, it's just really up to you. How, what, what do you want to get out of it? You know, some people really want to engage with the reader, you know, readers and people publicly and they're extroverts and they want to talk about the books at conferences and things like that. and, And they like to be out there and, you know, other people don't. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's needs are completely different. Um, So, you know, obviously we are here to talk about the next book you have coming out for all time. Very excited about it. For for people who might not have heard of it, do you mind giving us a quick synopsis of what the book's about? Sure. Um, So For All Time is a young adult romance. It's about Tamar and Fayard. And they are... um, destined to be together. Um, And we meet them in South Carolina. At the time, Tamar is uh, suffering from um, a disease and uh, she's going to go get some some help for it. And um, Fayer is with her and trying to convince her that he's just desperately in love with her. And that's where we start. But these kids are falling in love finding each other throughout time. So there's portions that, you know, flashbacks that we get in 1925. There's flashbacks that we get in Gao, um, which is right outside of Mali in um, the 14th century. And we also get a flash forward of them in the 24th century. And they're always coming together, but they're not being able to come together and live through it. So the crux of the matter is, can they find a way to break this cycle of death, rebirth, finding each other, death, rebirth, finding each other, to being able to be together and being able to stay alive? Oh my gosh. That was just <laughs> so the, much in just that. the description took me on a ride. That's so intense. I have, I have so many questions, but I I feel like I just need to read to find out what the <laughs> yeah. answers are. But like I have I have a lot of questions about the 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 stuff that goes into this. Um, so 
you know, when you, how did you like come up with the idea for this? Was it like a specific thing that like made you want to think about rebirth and, and that kind of stuff? Like what gave you this idea? Well, I was too, you know, like I told you, I started writing a whole bunch of different types of books. So I wrote, <laughs> um, the first Willowborn was a paranormal romance. And then after that, I wrote a science fiction um, romance. And then I wrote a historical fiction romance. And when I, after I wrote that, I was like, okay, I really like delving into this history. Are there other eras that haven't really been explored in YA for black kids? So I started playing around with different eras and just kind of writing like short treatments for the different eras. So I would think about, um, you know, uh, the 1970s during the Black Panthers. I thought about like the 80s. Uh, the Atlanta childhood murders. I thought mm-hmm. about the nineties at the, like the, the golden age of like hip hop. I went back to France during the revolution, just a bunch of different places. And I kept using the same characters. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about, well, what if there is a way to kind of not make this be six different books, but just one book. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started trying to weave them together and figure out a way, you know, to make it all kind of work together. Wow. I love that. I love that so much. I love hearing how stories come together sometimes in sort of like unexpected ways. I feel like Mm -hmm. those can make for the most interesting kinds of books. (laughs) Um, So is there anything else that you're working on that you can tell us about? Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anything anything would be a secret (laughs) out there yet, you know. Um, So I have something, some, another, it's a duology that is sitting with my editor now um, that follows um, a girl who is a witch um, who falls on the wrong side of her global witch council. Uh um along with a super cute boy of course of course she connects with always (laughs) (laughs) and they um may or may not accidentally kill a cop so (laughs) there's you know that that i'm worried that is done working on and, and seeing how that goes I have a middle grades that I'm working on that's sitting with my agent and waiting on um, edits now that follows a boy who um, has, he is a, um, a medium. And uh, he has to kind of like um, navigate um, the missing children that are in his particular neighborhood. So it's a mystery for him to kind of go through, um, you know, while also, you know, not dying in the process. <laughs> so that important. Right, so right up my alley. Creepy middle grade. <laughs> That's where I live. <laughs> totally. A little, a little creepy, a little, yeah. you know, and I've got other stuff that I'm working on. I'm trying. So I have the middle grades and then, you know, that's his and then another one that his his cousin. And then I have another one that I just like half done. That's kind of like a <laughs> boss retelling. All wow. Yeah, this I, I love I love just experimenting in different genres. So this like really speaks to my soul, too. Like it, it's it's so fun to kind of experiment with the ideas of like 
different constructs and how it would affect the characters that you imagine in your head. Um, mm -hmm. So you're um, for your day job, you're a librarian. Yes. Um, it's, I can imagine that being a librarian affects how you see story, how you absorb stories and, and how you interact with your audience even because of, you know, how you've interacted with readers as a librarian as well. So like how has like working as a librarian in your day job and now being a published author, like how has those like influenced each other? Um, well, I mean, being a librarian, I guess was, you know, it allowed me to just kind of, absorb so many stories to know that I could create my own stories mm -hmm. and it gives me an opportunity to absorb stories with the kids as well which is fun but the the best part I guess would have been um like I have a writing club so I get to work with teen writers and what interests them and what t you know kind of twists and turns they think of in their own brains and I also get to kind of serve in um, a little bit of a mentoring role with them as well to say okay you can do this you can actually write a book um, but then what do you do after you've already written the book um, and I have you know kids who have decided that they want to be writers and I've gone to school, you know, to kind of pursue that in um, different kinds of ways. So it's really fun to kind of, and it also inspires me because we write every week. We have prompts every week. So there's stuff that I come up with in, you know, in club writing that, you know, may become, you know, part of a story or may become a story itself that I can then go and like flesh out. Um, so it's, you know, it's all, you know, inspiration. I love That's that. So I cool. love that you get to work with kids too. I'm sure that is uh, super fun and probably challenging sometimes, but I feel <laughs> like, um, especially as an author, the times where I've felt uh, sort of down or discouraged or, and I've had like a classroom visit or gotten a letter from a kid or just got to interact with like a reader. It was always so amazing and just made me, gave me so much more energy again to like do what what we do because it can be tough sometimes but um seeing young writers and seeing kids who want to be a lot of young readers want to be writers um mm -hmm. i've found and it's just so energizing to see their enthusiasm and their like excitement for it it also takes you out of kind of like the publishing you mm -hmm. know adult publishing has its own ideas about what's hot yeah and its own ideas about you know what's important and what offers an escape to certain kids and what kids want to read. And if you're actually talking to you know, really to, to kids themselves, you'll see that, oh, the, you know, what they're actually picking up, what they're actually delving into is not necessarily, you know, you know, what's on the hot list right now or what genre is like hitting, you know, the, the streets right now, like, oh, vampire's dead you know, are, are dead, not to, you know, this <laughs> rash of kids I'm talking to right now, they're, you know, like, uh, you know, like dystopian stuff is just, is bleh, you know, well, you haven't talked to these kids. So there's, all, you know, mm. it kind of keeps me, you know, focused on just writing what I want to write and not trying to fit into the mold of what, you know, it's supposedly marketable right now. Right. 
Yeah, and I think that's it's really a loser's game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think unless you're one of those few people who can like write to trend, which is a skill all on its own, to mm-hmm. be honest, because you have to write fast and and well. Um, <laughs> it's just not something I can do. Um, so um, and and identify what the trend is going to be once the book is published. It's Which a is lot. years ahead, yeah, you know, hard. so it's like, if you want to hit the trends that are coming out, you know, right now, like you said, you have to write fast, like you need to have that manuscript done in the next two months mm. so mm-hmm. that you can go and then sell it so that it can be out, hopefully, if they're, if they're trying to really push it, you know, a year from now. Um, and I mean, who can who can do that? Yeah. There's there there are a couple not, authors, not but it's like three of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean IP moves pretty fast, but those are like publisher driven, right? Because like the publisher will, um, they'll uh, reach out to that person and say, "Hey, yeah, or... what's the word when they crash?" The publisher will crash the book so that it's getting like all the stuff done really really quickly, so it can come out when like the the topic is still trending mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you know the publisher has to be committed to that like you can't yeah. anticipate that that's going to happen just because you had an idea for something right. you think right. is on trend I also just think like in general like the like even though I'm sh- there are authors who can definitely do that or anticipate it or whatever I think that like to imply that we should we can all do this is a fallacy and mm-hmm. it can it's a disservice to like new writers coming in because then they'll think like the way to get published is to like anticipate the trend and write for it because it'll be easier for me to write my book and then I could just imagine the disappointment that they will feel when they realize like it's not it's it's so much easier said than done to do something like that mm-hmm Mhm. <laughs> mhm. For sure I've an I've a nice little space opera that's just been sitting yeah, on the shelf for like I swear 7 opera. years. This space Just opera will live one day. It's got to come back around at some point. <laughs> I, I will, every once in a while, I check in with my agent. I'm like, so I still have this space opera manuscript. And she's like, that's nice. <laughs> I'm like, just letting you know. Just leave it where it is. She's like, it's, it's, it's a nice story for you. <laughs> but one day, one day, yeah. some editor might be like, oh, you know what I want? You know what I've got a hankering for? A nice space opera. Yeah, like a real, <laughs> real juicy space opera with too much world building. I'm like, oh, I have exactly what you need. <laughs> um, no, I, w- I really love that your bio very blatantly says that you love paranormal romance because I do too. And my, my debut I always like now that book is out like you know whatever so I I feel like comfortable saying that was a paranormal romance big time but um I wasn't allowed to call it that which I think is just yeah I get like that that whole um and that's just marketing it is the stories are the stories and Mm -hmm. then the labels that we apply to stuff is just you know becomes so weird and can become shackles 
mm-hmm. um, to librarians and booksellers as well, you know, because it's like, we saw all the kerfuffle over. Now we don't want to use own voices anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a thing that, you know, like there was, there was shelving that, that was, adapt, you know, uh, that was attached to own voices. Yeah. You know, there was shelving attached to, you know, I guess African-American literature. But what is that? Is that everything, mm-hmm. you know, that just has a black character, in, you know, a black main character? Or so like a kid who, you know, doesn't read, you know, hasn't ever read Octavia Butler is never going to see it because it's in the African-American literature section and not the science fiction section with all the other science fiction books. Oh, okay, yeah. Now we're, you know, like we're kind of splitting hairs and that's a big talk, um, a big subject in in librarian world, library land, <laughs> over whether to genreify your collection. Mm-hmm. And I've always been like, I don't think that a lot of people have the depth and the um, the awareness, the wokeness necessary mm. to be able to adequately genreify their collections because everything is just so nuanced. So like you know, like paranormal romance. So like you know, like uh, Twilight came to Netflix. So everybody's you know back on Twilight again, right? So <laughs> yeah, and I binged it. And, you know, I'm there. So <laughs> Twilight is was paranormal romance we don't use it anymore so is a romance and it goes in the romance section is it horror in the horror section there's a lot of blood and guts and stuff like that mm-hmm. does it do you make a section that's just ya and just all of the ya books go over there and you know and because then you go into like and then well how do you move it from from around there how do i find anything all of these little little tips and tricks and you know, the definitions get muddled, you know, so like a bookstore, I think you can move stuff around and, you know, double place things. So they're easier to find. Um, if you have like a special section, that's only temporary. And I really believe in just temporary sections, like kind of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what we're doing for the, you know, for a couple of weeks. So we push, pull something out of fiction and just make a couple of genre sections for a little while and put them back. But once you start trying to make a permanent home for something, I think you get really, it gets really sticky. Yeah, for sure. I didn't even really think about that, that the reason why we are so obsessed with labels and publishing is because of where do you shelve something. But when you put it like that, it makes so much sense. I'm still frustrated with it. But like, (laughs) I guess it's nice to know that it's not arbitrary completely. Um, Mm -hmm. But that, yeah. It's it's so it's so hard. And also it's hard because like I think like even within a genre, like something that you can very solidly say, like this is fantasy, like it could it, it could have elements that are so different than the fantasy that's literally right next to it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know? And so like every, and every reader attaches to a different aspect of stories and that's why they like stories. Yeah. But yeah, it's so hard. And that's what, and it's, it's part of the marketing because that's what the bookstores think of. Like, where am I going to put this? How am I going to like, you know, put it out there? And is this going to be, I think that's, you know, is this going to be something that people frequent and come by and be able to pick up really easily? I think that's why new adult has such a hard time. Oh, yes. Poor new adult. Rest in peace. <laughs> I don't know. There, new adult isn't dead. <laughs> well, no one's allowed to call it new adult anymore. No one's allowed to call it new adult. I think because 
they haven't decided on I think the the, the industry has not decided on a on a full on definition. What is it? Where is it going to go? And then I think and I think some of that um, advocacy has to be done at the big book conferences where like, mm-hmm. you know, the bookstores are like BookCon and the that big one in, in D.C. and those the huge conferences where they actually hash out, OK, you know, this is where we're going. Yeah, and this is what it looks like. And these are the tenets of this particular genre. Uh-huh. Um, and then. You know, maybe it is just one, you know, one too many, you know, I don't know, because I don't know. I wonder if it's like because there hasn't been a Twilight or a Hunger Games, you know, to really like lead the charge for Mm -hmm. new adult or whatever that category will be called in the future. Um, Although young adult has existed for decades before Twilight, it just didn't exist the way we know it now (laughs) it was in juvenile fiction yeah yeah it was just in that section in the library that was just like that went from there was like picture books and then there was juvenile fiction which was like you know Anne of Green Gables Mm -hmm. and you know anything that went up to like 16 or 17 yeah but I also think of like you know adult is so weird because you think about romance novels and if you've ever just like binged on romance novels, how many of those start with someone who was 18? Yeah. Who was 19? You know, who's just like, you know, there's tons of like first love, you know, um, genre, you know, untouched girl type of stuff. And they are college age and it's firmly adult. So what, you know, what makes it adult and what makes it young adult? And because I've read some books and there's a book that was called Tale of a Sky Blue Dress. And it was written, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. Lovely literary novel, but is from the perspective of like a 12 or 13 year old girl. Why is it over? What makes that adult? Oh, yeah. And not YA or um, Silver Sparrow. Um by who is Silver Sparrow by she wrote uh, an Amer Tayari Jones hmm. Silver Sparrow is fantastic so these two girls they're sisters but only one of them knows that they're sisters oh. and the dad visits both of them but only lives with one of them the one who doesn't know you know that oh, these um, moms they have different moms. He's stepping out. So Ooh. one's the wife of the mistress. One of them is the wife of, I mean, the, the daughter of the wife. Uh-huh. And she, the sister, the, the mistress's daughter, goes to the high school that um, her new sister, you know, her sister is at and becomes friends with her unbeknownst to her dad. And this is set in 1990s Atlanta. This is on the adult chef. Mm. Who makes that decision? Mm-hmm. Because the entire book is them in high school. Yeah. And there's some flashbacks to her mom and her, you know, when she started dealing with her dad. But even then, her mom is on like 19 or 20. And it's just a flashback, a little short portion. Yeah. But the most of the book is just them being in high school. Being teenagers. So who, they're teenagers. The book, it, for me, the book is YA. 
Yeah, I mean, well, we also have books, you know, written by an author who's who became famous for YA, but then they'll write a book where the protagonist is obviously much more adult and there's more adult themes to it and it still gets, you know, shelved in YA. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's definitely marketing. You're definitely right with that. But I also think that this is, at the end of the day, I really like to think that the lesson from all of this is that it's true. It truly, it doesn't matter, you know, what book you write, like, because publishing can figure out a way to market it if they really want to, and a way to push it if they really want to, because all these things are so arbitrary. Categories are arbitrary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to have a good agent who knows who, you know, like, and I was lucky because I got to kind of bypass the slush pile. And that was the beauty mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the Twitter contest. Because I was able to bypass the slush pile, I was able to really get a good idea about who I wanted to go with and be my agent. Um, because they were all there at the same time, asking for the same work at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think, but you know, if I hadn't done that and maybe one or, you know, one person or even just two people, you know, had, you know, asked for a full request um, in the regular slush pile, you know, way to publishing. I don't know if my desperation would have kicked in and I just would have gone with whoever said yes first. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that that does happen a lot to writers because is there there's so much that we're not told about the industry. We're told, like, just achieve this and you'll be okay. You know, this one accomplishment will mean that you've made it and that people will take you seriously. And it makes us desperate, you know? Yeah. Well, also, because it's so slow and you're just like, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen. It's like, I got a full request. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm finally a real writer. You are. You are on your way. Yeah. But there's just like so much that goes after that. So much to think about. That's true. That's totally true. Okay, Shauna. So everyone who's on Writer Die tells us either their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You can do either or. You can do both. It's up to you. Hmm. Something that I wish I knew about publishing before I started. Don't pay your own publicist. I, when I was doing indie, I was like, I'm going to get myself a publicist and we're going to make this happen. (laughs) And I found someone and I paid her a ton of money. And she produced kitty poop. Nothing. Oh, no. But, you know, I just, just air, you know, wah, wah, you know? (laughs) Like, she used to, like, come and, like, report in every month. And she did. And it was just, like, this is nothing. And I have a, you know, like, I went to college. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm a pretty good writer. So I wrote my own um, press releases. And I got some radio um, events. And I got a placement in a newspaper. And I'm like, why am I paying this woman? 
and I had to get out of the contract and she and she actually let me out. So I will say that about her. She let okay. me out of the contract so I wouldn't have to like continue to pay her. But I did end up, you know, like down, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, which was a lot of, of money yeah. for me, yeah. you know, at the time, you know, so that yeah yeah that's that's hard because um I mean there are some independent like freelance publicists who are really good but I think um it can be hard to know who that is unless uh-huh. you have a referral from like another author who's already used someone yeah um, so like everything else make sure like you are super researching and not just like looking up the reviews on their own website because of course they're only going to put good stuff on there Mm -hmm. try to talk to people who they've actually worked with in the past just like you would for an agent especially if you're spending a lot of money on something that is no joke that's true not every publicist knows how to do good publicity for books specifically too and then also there's different publicity that goes into like picture books versus middle grade versus young adult versus adult versus nonfiction. like like if they've done picture book publicity before that doesn't mean that they know how to publicize young adult novels so that there's that too that's good advice i i mean whenever it comes to money it's i always think better safe than sorry like i'm not spending my money without knowing why (laughs) especially before you've made any actual money on your books right because if you're if you're taking money that you've made as an investment back into your career, it's one thing, but if you're pulling it from like your expenses and like your day job to go into something that you don't even know it's going to have a payoff, that's, that's tough. It's not easy. It's not easy. You've got to really be confident and I'm not even sure, you know, you know what the best course of action is for that, you know, um, I don't know. Cause I mean, I know, I know people that like, there's different genres. I think for, especially for like young adult is, you know, where are teens actually buying books, you know, so that's your audience. So that's where you have to be to sell your books. Mm-hmm. Now you may see someone who sells like, like urban lit, which I hate that term, but that's just kind of like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like mm-hmm. indie urban lit, mm-hmm. you can, you can make a lot of money um just selling ebooks and you know printing your books in the kind of like the fashion that you would find um at like the kiosk at like target like that fat mm. you know the short fat you know mm. um uh kind of uh cuts for books and if you have that and if you're in certain places you can sell those at the, at the barbershop you can sell those at the hair salon you can you know like there's and there's money to be made but you can't do the same thing with your picture book you know right. like that's not you can't sell picture books out of the trunk of your car in front of a you kindergarten. Can't. Oh my God, I don't have to. <laughs> you can't like I got this, you know, <laughs> this great alphabet book, you know, for cheap outside of the hair or the laundromat, and no, it's not gonna work. <laughs> Um, Shauna, thank you so much for uh, being on the show with us today. We had so much fun talking to you. Um, and best of luck with all your books. Can you please tell everyone where they can follow you on the internet? You can always find me at SR Miles Author. So I'm at SR Miles author at instagram and on twitter and on facebook and you can find me at my website at shauna miles.net perfect yay yay 
Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.